following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. Sunrise at your house this morning? Yep. I did it mine. Did it all over the world. <clears throat> God is on the throne. That's what matters. Um, I do want to again say uh, thank you publicly to the Milton Mills Church that uh, gave us this uh, wonderful piano. There's nothing really wrong with what we had before, but this is the big brother. And uh, can plug directly into our uh, system the way that it ought to, unlike what we were doing before. So that's a good thing, and we're grateful for that. Um, we can pray for our brothers and sisters in Milton Mills are mourning the loss of their church. So uh, that's the unfortunate circumstances that have blessed our family. So not that it didn't like. They didn't lose it, lose it. They closed their church, <laughs> just to be clear. Anyway, hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord Say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of, the dis- out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surround me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Hosanna, save us, we pray, O Lord. Hosanna, O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. 
The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your great love for us. We are thankful for your faithfulness to us. We pray, Father, your spirit would speak to us now through your word. These are your words. Help us to understand the message you have for us in them. Lord, change our hearts as a result of gathering together around your word this morning. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, we're returning to Gospel of Mark this morning. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, and that's page 848 in the Pew Bibles, if that's helpful to you. And we are picking up on the second half of a conversation between Jesus and the Jewish leaders in the temple courts on Tuesday of Holy Week. I read Psalm 118. Uh, well, my intention in reading Psalm 118, was because we're seeing the events described there play out right before us in the life of Jesus uh, here during our study of Mark. But I also kind of feel like we're seeing some of those things played out right before our own eyes in our own lives as well. That was not my intent. But the Spirit is His Word. Uh, so we focus on Jesus and the encounter with the Jewish leaders first. Now, you remember from last week, uh, those of you who are here, um, Jesus had been questioned by the Sanhedrin, by the chief priests and the scribes and the elders um, about where he got the authority to do and say the things that he did. And in classic Jesus fashion, he answered their question with a question. Um, about the authority of John the Baptist, where John got his authority from. Was his baptism from heaven or from men? And of course, being the politicians that they were, they refused to answer because they didn't like the answer they had to give. Um, so Jesus, in turn, refused to answer them, although everybody knew everybody else's answer. <laughs> right? Jesus knew their answer. Uh, they knew Jesus' answer. But nobody gave him. So here is a continuation of Jesus' response to the Sanhedrin's refusal to answer his question. And this is important for, this just shows how important context is when studying the word. If we just picked up um, Mark chapter 12, verse 1, and he spoke to them in parables. Who's them? It, make, it makes a difference, right? Because we just finished chapter 11, we know that them is the Sanhedrin. Not just them as a bunch of people standing around, random, you know, crowd. It's very specific because if this was just two people, the message would be very different than if this was given to the Jewish leaders. So, we look at the text. Mark 12, start at verse 1. 
and he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him, and they killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Hmm. So here again, we have one uh, have another of a million examples of why it's so important to consider context, to consider the original author and the original audience of a given text uh, in Scripture, because it can never mean what it never meant. Um, and if we don't understand what it meant then, we're not going to understand what it means now. Uh, we'll struggle uh, to find any meaning in the text, and we'll just chalk it up as a mystery. Well, I don't want to do that. There are certain texts in Scripture where we can say, Eesh, I don't know, but this is not one of them. So, if we're considering the original author, original audience, who's Jesus speaking to? Right? To whom did he address this parable? It's important. We already talked about it. He's not talking to the crowds, right? He's talking to the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Um, and that's very important because we can't make sense of this parable unless we understand who it was about and to whom it was addressed. Um, I think that there's a little bit of, um, I don't know what the right word, irony or sarcasm there in the last part of it. They were, this, they were seeking to arrest him because they perceived he told a parable against them. Like, you think? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, and this, this group of Jewish leaders knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Um, and who was who in the parable. It may take a little bit of work for us to understand, um, but it didn't for them. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't because they were so perceptive, like, oh, I see in my great wisdom, Jesus talking about us. Uh, the truth of the matter is they knew their Bible. And that's why they knew what Jesus was saying. They knew the Old Testament. And it's easy to think that Jesus just made this parable up out of nowhere um, and applied it to them. But that would rob it of its force to these men. Um, Jesus didn't just make this story up. 
That's very important for us to understand. He is building on the words of the prophet Isaiah uh, in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And uh, see if you can track with me here. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones, and he planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and the briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. This was not foreign to the Jewish leaders. They knew this text. They knew that the people of Israel was God's vineyard. And oh, well, back then... When Isaiah was alive, this is hundreds of years before this, uh, before Jesus here. Uh, that was then, then, right? That can't still apply. Well, it certainly does. With that understanding, Jesus' parable becomes a little more clear that Israel is God's vineyard. That's what the Bible says. And Jesus taking that same picture and applying it to them. This group of Jewish leaders, men responsible for the spiritual well-being of the nation of Israel, had proved that they were not at all concerned about the spiritual welfare of the people of God, God's vineyard. They're only concerned with their own self-interest by refusing to tell the truth. When Jesus asked them specifically, was John's baptism from God or from man? They refused to answer because the answer would bring trouble. It would make them look bad or get them killed. It's a bad choice, right? Either my reputation or my face. I, I, would, I don't know. I'm glad I wasn't in that spot. So all of that is Jesus' motivation for telling this parable against them. So uh, let's go back to basics. Take apart... Let's break apart the pieces of the parable. Who's the vineyard? Israel, right? And we can expand that to say God's people now, okay? The vineyard is God's people. Who's the owner? Who's the builder of the vineyard? God, God is the builder of the vineyard still. And who are the tenants in this parable? The Jewish leaders were the tenants, right? He built built the vineyard, gave it everything it needed, and, and leased it out to Jewish leaders. And who are the servants that came and got killed and beat up? And That's the prophets, right. And who is the son? 
Jesus. Okay, good Sunday school answers. Very flannel graph. Well done. Well done. Now there's another question. Because it's one more group. Who are the others that the owner will give the vineyard to? All right. The church. That's everyone who has faith in Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles. The great mystery, the connection of Jewish and Gentile people under faith in Jesus Christ. That's important to remember. We can't miss that part, that we are included in the parable. It's not a happy parable for everybody, but it's pretty happy for us. I think we can celebrate The Jewish leaders did exactly what the tenants did over the course of the history of Israel. They persecuted and killed the prophets. Those servants sent to to the people to warn them, to call them to repentance, to call them back to faithfulness to God, to seek the fruit of the vineyard. And they were killed for it. Some of them were killed in the same spot where Jesus is. Zechariah the prophet was killed between the gate and the altar, uh, uh, the altar and the Holy of Holies, right? Martyred. For doing what? Calling people to repentance. This is why church buildings across the land are not full this morning, because nobody wants to voluntarily hear that message. Repent. You have done wrong. You are a sinner. Everybody loves hearing that, right? Nobody wants to be told that they are wrong or they are bad. Everybody is good. People are good. They're not. The Bible says we are not. We're not. If we are basically good, we have no need for a Savior. Just be nice to everybody and we'll all go to heaven. That's exactly what people have told them and they're wrong. It's not true at all. So prophet after prophet beaten, treated shamefully and killed by Jewish leaders. And now these leaders are seeking to do the exact same thing to Jesus, God's beloved son. They wanted to do the same thing as those tenants did to the owner's son to kill him. The tenants of that vineyard knew that the beloved son was the heir, just as the Sanhedrin knew that Jesus was Messiah. The tenants killed the son so they could keep the vineyard for themselves, right? Uh, The owner is eventually going to croak and there's no heir, so now it's ours, no no lease. They They refused to pay their rent anyway. I don't know why it'd be any different. We don't have to go through the trouble of killing all those servants they keep sending over here, I guess. Yeah, horrible. And the tenants killed a son so they could keep the vineyard for themselves. Not just keep the vineyard for themselves, but so that things could go back the way they were, the way we liked them. And the Sanhedrin did the same. They wanted to silence Jesus, to get rid of him. Why? Because they didn't like to be told they were wrong? Maybe. That's not all of it. They liked things the way they were. They were in charge. They were in control. They wanted Jesus dead so things could go back the way that they liked it. 
They controlled the people. They were the ones that everybody looked to and they listened to and they were the ones in charge. It's a good position to be in, especially if you have self-importance issues. And three days after this little talk, they would succeed. Kind of. They silenced Jesus by killing him. But only for three days. After Jesus told him them this parable, he asked another question. Quoting again Psalm 118. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Who's the builders? It's the Jewish leaders now. And they rejected the cornerstone, or what the stone that would become the cornerstone. That's Jesus. These Jewish leaders are supposed to be the builders. They're supposed to be building a living temple made of people. Not made out of limestone. But they rejected Jesus, the stone that became the cornerstone of the new temple. A living temple made of living stones. And instead of calling it all that stuff, what do we call it? The church. Peter would pick up on this same idea again in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 12. Remember, Mark is writing down Peter's account, so it's no uh, coincidence that he continues using this picture. Peter writes, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. I like the old translation that says a peculiar people. That's very accurate. (laughs) A peculiar people that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, the unbelievers, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Well, that's nice. Isn't it? What's the takeaway? What what do we get more than just information? 
or, or losing 20 minutes of our life just now, what do we get? Well, maybe. The first takeaway, I would say, that Jesus told this parable against the Jewish leaders that day, exposing their self-interest and lack of faith and faithfulness to their calling. And our takeaway from that, don't be like that. Fairly simple, right? There's two ways of gaining wisdom, right? Experience or the experience of someone else, right? We have someone else's experience here. Let's learn, don't be like that. Jesus exposed their sin, and instead of repenting, they rejected him. They wanted to arrest him and kill him, just like the leaders in the past did to the rest of the prophets. And when our sin gets exposed, we need to do what they should have done, is repent. Jesus knew their sin then, and he knows our sin now. It's all exposed before him, so repent. You're saying to yourself, well, my sin hasn't been exposed. I've kind of, I've been lucky so far. Wrong. It is all laid bare before Christ. So repent. Turn away from it. Reject it. Receive his forgiveness. And follow the way of Christ. Remember, that's what repentance means. You're headed in this direction. To repent means to turn 180 degrees and go the other direction. Your sin, your selfishness is over there. Pride, all the, everything is bad over there. Not them, they're terrific. That direction. Right? Follow the way of Christ is over here. Righteousness, love, and peace. Over here with the Browns. <laughs> so, ah, well, you sat over there. It's not my fault. Our, our second takeaway um, is not from the original unfaithful w- wicked tenants, but from the new tenants that the Father will give his vineyard to. That The vineyard has always represented God's people. It did then. It did when Isaiah used the picture. And it still does now. We are God's vineyard. And we have been given stewardship within that vineyard. Stewardship of ourselves, of our own gifts and abilities. um, And maybe even for some, the stewardship of others. Uh, our families, our groups within the church family. We've all been given stewardship within the vineyard. And what should we do about that? We must be faithful to the owner of the vineyard. Be faithful to the owner and builder of the vineyard, built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, and faithfully submit to him in all the fruit that we bear. Did the owner have the right To send servants to ask of fruit of the tenants? Absolutely. That's how rent works. And God, the owner and builder of the vineyard, his people, has the right to ask things of us. To ask of our stewardship. He has that right and we have that responsibility. 
This is not earning our salvation by any means. Faith in Christ is all we need to be saved. But once we are saved, we are now part of God's vineyard and the fruit belongs to him. So let's give it to him. However, that works out, whether it's your own faithful service or your gifts or your giving, your time, talent, treasure, all of those things. What is your responsibility to the owner of the vineyard? You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. A peculiar people. A people of God's own possession. That you should proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. But now... You are God's people. Once you, uh, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, hear that again, sojourners and exiles, we don't trust in princes or kings or presidents, or senators, or congresspeople, or governors, or selectmen, or a register of deeds, <laughs> right? We trust in the king, Jesus. Amen. Amen. As sojourners and exiles, just traveling through this crazy land, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, among the unbelievers honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And that day of visitation is coming when the trumpet sounds and the clouds roll back and the Lord returns to gather his peculiar people to himself. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to be your vineyard through faith in your Son. Help us, Lord, to be faithful stewards, submitting the fruits of the vineyard to you, the owner and the builder. We thank you, Father, for your faithfulness in providing everything that we need. For we know that every good and perfect gift comes from you. We thank you for your word this morning, Lord, and pray that it would find root in our hearts, that our lives would change, our attitude and behavior would reflect the scripture, reflect your son. May he be glorified in your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.